three together, a sobering, I would say, Old Testament passage, the fifth chapter of Exodus. It's a tale of drudgery, it's a tale of despondency, it's a lot of dark negative things. Exodus 5. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you under your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many. And you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of the bricks which they did make heretofore ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw where ye can find it. Yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily task, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as heretofore? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants, and they say to us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle. Ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see what, that they were in evil case after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savour to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Thank you, Brother Luke, for those opening thoughts. And uh, Brother Gary has asked the reading of uh, Galatians Chapter 5, fifth chapter of Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. 
ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. So ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If ye live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Galatians 5. I too greet you in Jesus' name, and it is good to see each one of you here this morning. It's been a while since we've been to Indiana, and it's in a, in a way it's just like coming home. Lots of good memories coming out here to be with the family. And if my thoughts are somewhat scattered this morning, that's probably because I've been with the Coble family, and there's a lot that goes on there, so bear with me here. We read a very sobering account there in Exodus 5 about a people in bondage and a people that I would just say had no hope. A people that were drugged down, a people that just went through each day probably just hoping to survive till the end. And so the message this morning is is somewhat heavy. But I hope to end up where Brother Luke took us. I hope to to come out into that glorious hope and that ceiling even is in the notes here. So I want to give you a little bit of, of why I even, even had thoughts about this in the first place. And sometimes, and it seems like it's just more prevalent here recently, I'd say in the last few months, it just seems like um, life can get kind of heavy. And things can just kind of weigh you down. Whether it's something at work, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a family. It just seems like no matter where we're at, no matter how old we are, there's just things that kind of tend to weigh us down at times. And I guess that's just kind of where I got. And so I want to talk this morning about the tale of bricks. 
And we read a little bit about that there in Exodus 5. And that tale there in that chapter that the uh, Israelites were supposed to make, that tale of bricks means a quota of bricks. Or an amount of bricks, a certain amount. But when I say the tale of bricks, I want to look at it as the story of bricks. And, and specifically the story of bricks in our lives. And I don't know if you think you have them or not, but um, I want to go back there to Exodus 1 and read. And I can just imagine these children of Israel. I, I've never experienced anything like this, and I don't know that anyone else in here has either. But can you imagine as the head of the household, each and every day, your job is to make bricks. And not only that, now you've got to go out and get your own straw to reinforce the bricks. And not only that, it's not straw from a wheat field, it's stubble. It's stuff you find in fence rows. It's not even easy to get like straw out of a, out of a field. It's just dried up stuff blowing around. That's what stubble is. It's a different Hebrew word than, than straw. And you're a dad and you have a family and you have to provide and you've perhaps got bruises from last week that haven't healed yet. And all you do every day is make bricks, lots of bricks. You got to get to a certain amount or you're going to get beat again. And you're so fixated on these bricks, you can't do anything else. There's no joy in life. There's no light. There's no love. It's just bricks, bricks and more bricks. And you get home and your wife and your children meet you at the door and say, Dad, did you make enough bricks today? How'd you do on the bricks? Can you imagine that? That's your life. That's the only legacy you're going to give to your son is to make him the best brick maker you can so he doesn't get beat. Can you imagine that? In Exodus 1, I'll just read these verses, verses 11 through 14. These people made these bricks and they were also employed in this service of building things. It says, therefore, they did set over them taskmasters. This is the, the Egyptians setting over the Israelites taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities. Python and Ramses, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew and they were grieved because of the children of Israel and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. That just means severity or cruelty. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor, was with cruelty and it's not only that, it's not even like you're using these bricks for your house or something good. You're using them so this tyrant that rules over you, you can build him storehouses for all his goodies. And he can walk into this, this building that you've made with these bricks that perhaps has your blood still on them somewhere or mixed in with them. And he can walk in and say, look at all my treasures here. Look at this storehouse that you've built me for all my goods with your bricks. You know, I couldn't help but notice as I walked in here, and I don't know if anybody else notices this, but I notice it because I'm looking for it. Every single person in here is carrying a bag. You can't see it. You see evidence of it. But every single one of us is carrying a bag. And it's a bag for our bricks. And some of you have a pretty heavy load. I can just imagine some of you, your bag is full to the top. You know what life's like sometimes is as we live and as we, as we interact and as we go through this thing called life and we have families and we have issues and we have relationships and we get together and we do church together and we work together and we interact with all these people. You know, sometimes there's words said and there's actions expressed and there's things done and it's just like someone takes a brick and hands it to you. 
Maybe it's maybe it's a cutting criticism. Maybe it's sarcasm. Maybe it's something from your spouse. Maybe it was even well-intentioned, but it just cuts you off at the knees. And it's like someone just handed you a brick and you just put that thing in your bag. And you're kind of like, well, that's not so bad. And, and you go through the day and the next day maybe the same thing happens and you get another brick. And you just kind of put it in your bag. And before long, there's a lot of bricks in there. And sometimes we don't even know they're in there. We're so used to the weight. We're so used to the burden. We're so used to the results of that that it's just normal. And we just go through life and we're just carrying a bag full of bricks. Maybe it's abuse of some sort in our past. Maybe it's just the power of words. Maybe it's this relationship in your life. This just toxic and this just person just constantly handing you bricks and you just take them and you put them in your bag. Can anyone in here relate to that? You know, there's those bricks are heavy criticism or cutting remarks or toxic relationships or some sort of abuse in all its various forms. You know, those bricks are heavy. Those come from people. There's some other bricks. There's some other bags of bricks that are a whole lot heavier. And I think of things like disillusionment. Things like despair. Things like worry. Things like fear. Things like shame. Things like doubt. Things that just dominate the core of our being. And it affects our whole outlook on life. And we go through the day and it's like, I can't possibly carry this weight another day. And you know what? Some people... They, they've had enough of the load. And they end their life. Just can't go through it anymore. I'm tired of the load of bricks. I think of things like bitterness, despair, sadness, regret. Those are all heavy, heavy loads to carry. You ever shoulder a burden like that? Sometimes it's just for a day. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it goes on for years. And we can try to deal with these bricks in a carnal way. I'm a master at it. And we can all typically cover fairly well. You know, I, I can cover my load of bricks with humor or, or happy-go-lucky or fun or some of that. Seems fairly benign ways, fairly benign carnal ways to deal with your load of bricks. But there's other, other darker ways to deal, other darker carnal ways that we can deal with our load of bricks. I think of things like vices. Things like alcohol, things like drugs, things like you, you name it. There's a myriad of ways. Entertainment. Something on the internet. Something like that, that you're just coping with this load, this bag of bricks that you're tired of dealing with. And you find some carnal way that gives you some sort of relief for just a short time. But you just keep going back to that because that's the only relief you can find and it feels good just for a moment. And that's what, that's the whole pattern of addictions. It's just medicating something that you have inside that you're trying to deal with in a carnal way. That's really all addictions are. Sometimes it comes out as like a power play, you know, in a marriage where you have this dominant partner. I can probably relate to that one fairly well, where you just try to control things. Try to just just force your will on everyone around you. You're just dealing with some toxicity inside. You're dealing with this this load of bricks that's too heavy for you to carry anymore. I think of some people that just like, they, they cover it up with trying to win approval, be people pleasers, trying to deal with this load of bricks, and they're trying to win every popularity contest they can. And they're just dealing with sorrow or sadness or pain in their heart. They're just tired of the load of bricks. And it's like, well, if everybody's, if I'm popular and everybody likes to be with me and I see smiles, that helps for a short time. Carnal ways of dealing with our bag of bricks. You know, we spend a lot of time, or I do, trying to get away from, from bricks, let's say, or circumstances or people that, that just add to this load. And I begin to take these bricks, and what I begin to do is, if there's 
There's a relationship or there's someone in my life or some circumstance or some setting that just keeps chucking bricks at me. I'll take every single one of those bricks. And I, I we're all master masons. And we start to build these walls. And we build them higher and thicker and stronger. And we, we build, build, build because the pain hurts. And we build them up. And we hide behind them. And it feels good, but boy, it's lonely in there. It's a lonely place to be. You're just building a treasure house for Pharaoh is what you're doing. You're just building it up. Building it up. Build the walls. Because you can't deal with the pain. You're trying to deal with it in a carnal way. One way I I can relate to dealing with, with a bag of bricks is just control. If I can just control my wife, or I can just control my children, and I will, I will strive and I will meddle because, I don't know, it's just some weird thing that happens with me. If I'm having a bad day, it comes out as control. And I want to control my circumstances and my environment and those things that cause me pain. I just want to control them. And you know what's so sad about this thing of control? It's like when, when there's some person in our life that's causing us pain and we try to control them, when we strive and we meddle with that person so often in trying to produce some sort of effective result in them that we think we want, it's like a, a selfish desire, we actually end up guaranteeing the exact opposite will happen. Isn't that sad how that works? When we just, just, you know what, I'm tired of long-suffering, forget it, forbearance, forget it. I want you to do this. You might even affect that change on the outside, but you'll never gain the heart. You'll never gain the heart, and therefore you've affected exactly zero change, and what you've done is guarantee the exact opposite. Control is so deadly. I This thing of parenting... In control is, is something, it's like why in the world do we have children when we're in our 20s or teens or 30s? How about 50 or 60? It's like it's, it's flip-flopped. Bags of bricks and how we deal with them. There's another weird psychological aspect to these things of bricks. And that is we actually begin to, to make them a component of our identity. Now, I don't want to get down in the weeds on this, but I'll just use this example. You know, sometimes, um, well, I can think of a certain brother in particular, and and he's a dear friend, but he has complained, and, and well, let me, let me give it to you this way. We have two Jack Russells at home, two little Jack Russell Terriers, and... We have squirrels occasionally, those big fox squirrels. And we have an oak tree right in the middle of our property. And those squirrels like that oak tree. And the dogs know it. And so they try various ways to hide and, and ambush these squirrels. And every once in a while, they'll let one go up the tree. And then they'll stand around the base of that tree and bark for hours and hours. Bark, bark. You know, they're just all consumed with this squirrel in the tree. And I've actually seen it. I've had my trailer parked close there sometimes. And I've actually seen the squirrel jump out of the tree onto the trailer and, and dart away. The dog's never seen it. And they're barking, barking for hours at a squirrel that is not there. It doesn't even exist. And we people can be that way too. We were so consumed with some issue or some soapbox that we stand on and we just bark, 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 bark. And this brother in particular, He's harped about the same thing for so long, for as long as I've known him, that those circumstances don't even exist anymore, and he's still barking the same message. He's actually made that a part of his identity and who he is. It makes him feel good to stand on that soapbox and bark. And the the squirrel's gone. Like, the circumstance is completely gone. It's a whole different paradigm. And he's still harping on the same thing. He's actually internalized that, and it's a part of his identity. Here's another way of looking at it. Um, I'm not going to get the percentages exactly, but it's something in the low 80% of male prisoners in the United States. It's like 81 or 83% of male prisoners in the United States will be, when they're released for whatever crime, 
when and if they're released, they will be back in prison within nine years. Low 80%. Let's just say 80%. Why is that? And a lot of times these guys will get out and they'll commit some petty crime. And so these reporters will interview them or whatever and say, now why'd you do that? You know what the saddest thing in the world is? Those men have been in prison for so long. They've been in bondage for so long that when they're released, they don't know how to act. When they're set free, when they're, when they're released from bondage, they don't know who they are in that environment and they're actually more comfortable in prison because they know who they are there. They know what their ranking and status is. They know the ropes. They know the, the routines. So they will commit another crime to go back to prison. It's called recidivism. It's a 50-cent word, recidivism. And it's in the 80% range of men that are released in the United States will commit a crime to go back into prison because they're actually more comfortable there than they are set free. And we listen to that and look at that and say, that is ridiculous. Oh, really? Do you and I not do the exact same thing? Brother Luke kind of mentioned that. We're not totally sealed. We kind of resist that complete sealing a little bit. And a little, I guess you could say we're recidivistic. That's a, that's a serious word. The children of Israel were the exact same way. They were set free. They were brought out with a strong hand. They go out into the desert, and it's like two days later or whatever. Wow. Egypt was awesome. The food there was fantastic. No, it wasn't. You were miserable there. We do the exact same thing. It fuels addictions. We know it's trash. But it makes us feel good and comfortable for just a little bit. So we will go back there because the unknown is less comfortable than bondage. Isn't that weird? Galatians 4, 9 speaks to that just a little bit. I'll read it for you. This is what Paul was dealing with with these Galatian brethren. Verse 8, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, there's a sermon by itself, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You know why? You know what the whole Galatian church had? They had this thing of, of legalism going on. And we say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, we do the same thing. Is it not easier to make up a list or a law, we'll say, of ten things to do? And and don't you feel good when you can check? Okay, I'm going to pray every morning. I'm going to read a chapter. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then God accepts me. It's so much easier to come up with a checklist form of Christianity than it is to walk by faith. So much easier to walk by a law. Because then we have a basis on which to differentiate ourselves among ourselves and make us feel good about ourselves. That's what a law does. It's just a metric to tell you where you're at and where you're not at. And we play that game all the time. Just a checklist. I can do this. I can do this. Yes, I I did everything good today. I'm doing all right. No. You're not doing all right. You're not walking by faith at that point. All those things, those checklists might be the greatest list in the world. They might be beneficial and all that. They're not necessarily walking by faith. There's something else in this bag of bricks that we carry around. And and this is a big one for me. There's something else in our human psyche that, that baffles me. You know, we're fairly well equipped to handle tragedy. Right now, we're sitting in this meeting house and one of our houses could be burning as we speak. And that's a tragedy, right? You know, church is out, you get a phone call, by the way, your house is gone. That's a big deal. That's a tragedy. But we're fairly well equipped to handle that. But what if that phone call said, By the way, it was your neighbor that set your house on fire. 
That's a lot bigger deal, isn't it? We can handle just tragedy fairly well or a lightning strike burning something down. But when someone did it intentionally, when there's malevolence behind tragedy, it's a whole different ballgame. Why is that? And we're born with it. How many of us have as kids or have heard our kids when there's some sort of infraction among siblings say, he did it on purpose. Now, if, if Johnny's under that oak tree and, a, and an acorn falls out and hits him on the head and it hurts, that's a big deal. But when his sister threw the acorn, that's a lot bigger deal. Why is that? We can handle tragedy fairly well. We can't handle malevolence with tragedy fairly well. But you know what happens with that when there's a person behind that tragedy? When someone has inflicted us, when someone has given us a brick, and it might be a huge brick, we develop this thing of unforgiveness, don't we? He did it on purpose. She did it on purpose. They said that knowing it would hurt me. We're not very well equipped to handle that. We're terrible at that. And so we take the bricks and we build the wall. And we call it unforgiveness. It's like, fine. You want to be a jerk? That's fine. But you're going to be on the other side of my wall. I'm not dealing with you anymore. It's called unforgiveness. It's probably, it's, it's, who knows? It's one of the strongest walls of all. I'll put it that way. Unforgiveness. One of the strongest walls of all. I think it's just why bricks from people are so powerful is because it's a whole different ballgame when someone did it on purpose. You and I, in a carnal way, are ill-equipped to handle those bricks. We'll just take them and build. We're masters at it. Build, build, build. Dealing with bricks in a carnal way. I want to talk about dealing with bricks in a Christ-like way. Because this is a paradigm shift. I think of all these people, and I work with some of them, that try this, this meditation thing, and, and Buddhism is, is very popular, especially among perhaps the Hollywood crowd and some of that. And it's, you know, it's trying to detox and get rid of all these things that, it's, it's a carnal way of dealing with bricks. And the whole idea is, is the answers to my dealing with bricks all lie within myself. And if I can just sit here and, and hang out in my little Zen garden and, and sit cross-legged on a rock for long enough, all the bricks will disappear. It's not a Christ-like way of dealing with them. The Bible says that you on your own cannot handle the bricks. You can't do it. You think you are, but all you're doing is building walls. And that's not going to work. It makes you feel better for a time, but before long, you're all alone. Loneliness is one of those master bricks from our adversary that are heavier than all these bricks that people give us. And isn't that crazy that we're so sensitive to tragedy with malevolence and people giving us bricks that will trade all those for loneliness, which is a bigger brick than all of them put together. I marvel over and over again when I see headlines in the Wall Street Journal about the number one epidemic in America is loneliness. And it's like there's people everywhere and there's communication everywhere. And you go to a restaurant, everybody's like on their phones talking to somebody, not necessarily the people at their table. But all this communication and everything going on and everyone feels lonely. That's weird. Perhaps it's because we don't have meaningful relationships. We might have a million followers on this or that or the other. But none of them are meaningful. We have a lot of relationships. How many of them are actually meaningful? But how to deal with bricks in a Christ-like way? This is true deliverance. Let's go to Hebrews 4. This is how we deal with our bricks. I look at it this way. I've told this story many, many times, but 
Whenever I think of weighty things or bricks or bags of bricks or bondage or anything like that, which is really nothing more than sin, I think of that scene in Pilgrim's Progress, that classic John Bunyan work, where Pilgrim, as he leaves his home city and he's walking this this path to the celestial city, the King's Highway, I think he calls it, this just sticks out to me from my earliest memories because I remember reading the book long before I could even understand the words. I was a reader before I could read kind of a deal. And I just remember going through this yellow pilgrim's progress at home and I was young enough that I could only read the easy words and so it really didn't make much sense. But one thing I do remember is the picture there of, of Christian as he's on the king's highway and he comes up and he sees the cross. He sees the hill, he sees the cross, and as he's walking prior to this, he begins to notice how much weight he's carrying. And as he gets closer and further down the king's highway, that pack gets heavier. That load of bricks, that load of sin gets heavier. Every step it's more to where he's almost just to collapse under the weight. And you and I have been there. We might be there now. Never forget the picture in the book of Pilgrim's Progress when he gets to the hill and he gets to the cross. And I picture him, he's reaching like this for the cross and those straps break. And in the picture, his pack is halfway off. That is deliverance from bondage. That is freedom. That is not being entangled again. That is going to the cross. It's not building walls. It says, I know what to do with these bricks. I leave them at the foot of the cross. That's what I do. That's dealing with your bricks. That's truly dealing with your bricks. We can do a lot of other shenanigans with our bricks and we can build things. They're just treasure cities for Pharaoh. That's all they are. True deliverance, true freedom from your bag of bricks is found at the cross. Hebrews 4.15 uses this verbiage. I want to talk about emotions here just a little bit. As a young preacher, it was mildly surprising to me to find that in preaching I can get emotional. It's one of the only times I do. At least in a positive emotion way. Very familiar with negative emotions. I'm very familiar with anger. I'm very familiar with irritability. I'm very familiar with a lot of those negative emotions. Very unfamiliar with positive ones. Oh, sure, there's, there's fun and some of that. I'm not sure how meaningful that actually is. I think of things like empathy and compassion and humility and some of these things that speaks to a deeper, more healthy, more meaningful emotional state. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, Yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's there's some critical things in here. First of all, Jesus felt what you and I felt. He felt, He is familiar with the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses, our times of despondency, depression, disillusionment. Our times of negative emotion, he's familiar with that. He's touched with that. He, it says he cannot not be touched. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I thought about the seven cries from the cross, and I've never thought about them in this way. Do you suppose those cries were a manifestation of temptations he was dealing with, even at that time? Have you ever looked at that? Thought about that? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You ever thought maybe Jesus was dealing with bitterness, the temptation of bitterness? All I've, you know, you and I up there, this is how my mind would probably work. All I've ever done is preach truth. All I've ever done is healed people. 
Everything I've ever done has been for someone else and not myself. I just give, 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 give for three years now. All I did is give. And you got me nailed up here? Yeah. You're going to get yours, buddy. That's bitterness. Jesus didn't respond that way. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's dealing with bricks in a Christ-like way. Is that our response? Is that our response in our church families? Is that our response in our marriages? Is that our response with our children? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen said the exact same thing as the stones were raining down. It was just the same Christ-like response. Lay not the sin to their charge. They don't know what they're doing. The temptation of bitterness. I thought about this. I thought about just, was Jesus dealing with indifference? When those two thieves, they, they, Scripture says they cast the same in their teeth. If thou be the Christ, come down from the cross. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. That was their cry. And by and by, one of them stopped that. Something changed. I don't know what he's seen. I can't wait to talk to him. What did you see? As you're gasping for breath, as this bloodied, ragged man beside you is gasping for breath, what changed in you that you went from save yourself and us if you're the Christ to Well, first of all, he defended him to the other thief. This man has done nothing amiss. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What changed? Jesus very well could have said, you know what, buddy? All I've done is listen to you hurl criticism and sarcasm at me for a while now. And now you want me to remember you when I come into my kingdom? Nah. I'm not going to do it. Jesus didn't respond that way. He didn't respond with indifference or anything, any negative emotion like that. It was today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus wasn't about to take those bricks from those men. I'm not doing a thing with them, he said. You'll be with me in paradise today. I thought about despising the shame. When it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I thought, that's interesting. What was the joy? Well, I think Jude gives us a, a picture of that when he said he will present you faultless. Before, I forget the words. Before his, his father, essentially, with exceeding joy. Something along those lines. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The shame of being hung on a tree, the shame of being spit on, the same, or the shame of being whipped, of mocked, you know, you're the Lord of glory and you created everything and you sustain everything. And the apex of your creation hurls insults and spit and whips at you. He despised it all. I'm not accepting it. I'm not accepting the shame. And even in that hour, when, when he could have taken that shame, he was selfless. And he looks out at his mom and he just says, John, take care of my mom. John, will you take care of her? How selfless is that? How often do you and I, when we're, when we're down and we're out and we're beaten and we feel like the world's against us and are we actually, usually it's just like, poor me, here I am again. No one loves me, everybody hates me. That wasn't Jesus' words. Even in that hour, he looked out and he sees his mom. He says, John, take care of her. That's amazing. I thought about despair. Can you imagine Jesus in that hour? I think he battled with this brick, this, this despair. You can hardly breathe. Your vision's blurry. There's blood dripping everywhere. It's drying. It's cracking. Every time you raise your feet up, to try to get a breath, that blood breaks again on your back against that cross. Despair. He looks out. What's he see? A couple women and maybe John. Where'd everybody go? 
Do you people have any idea how many people I healed? Where are you all at? Everybody left me. Do you think Jesus suffered the temptation of despair? I think he might have. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I think he battled with despair. I wonder about doubt. I wonder if Jesus struggled with doubt on the cross. All these things are heavy bricks that you and I can carry. I wonder if he struggled with doubt. There was a lot of things written in the Scripture about him. And I think he knew them all front to back. I do always those things that please my Father. I wonder if he struggled with doubt. You know, when he said, I thirst, he was just fulfilling yet another Scripture. Yet another prophecy about himself. Psalm 69. I thirst. Just being true to his calling. I wonder if he struggled with self-will. And you and I, that's maybe our biggest battle of all. That's the biggest brick we carry is just the battle with self. We read it there in Galatians 5. Lust of the flesh, some of those things. I wonder if he just, when he said, it is finished. You know, he gave up his own will. I do always those things that please my Father. It's not what I want. It's not what my will says I want. I'm willing to do whatever God's like, like Luke talked about. It's like total surrender. It's being completely sealed. It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. I think Jesus suffered all those temptations on the cross because the scripture says he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What else can we do with these bricks? There's other scriptures that talk about dealing with bricks in a Christ-like way. Matthew says this, Come unto me, or Jesus says this, All ye that labor and are heavy laden. Have you ever been there? Labor and are heavy laden. We just work, work, work. What can we possibly do to alleviate our suffering? Work, labor, heavy load, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It doesn't say that, but there's a a picture there of us giving our burden to Christ, and he gives his yoke to us. And he says, it's not heavy. Believe you me, it's nothing like you've been carrying all these years. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Why will you rest in him? Because his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And you and I carry heavy burdens all the time. And even when we manage to get rid of them for a little bit, a lot of times someone will say something, or there's some trigger, and we're right back there. We pick that thing right back up. He did it on purpose. Peter writes this in 5th chapter 6 through 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He can be touched with the load you're carrying. He can be touched with every single brick you think you need to haul around. Because he's been there and he's done that. He's triumphed over it. How to deal with bricks in a Christ-like way. True deliverance. Lots of negative emotions in there. Brother Luke in opening said this. He said, keep going back to the promises of Scripture. You know what's interesting to me? There's a couple things that are interesting to me about myself and about just... Humanity in general, and that is like, if I was to quantify it, I would say like 90% of my suffering, or what I think is suffering, exists only in my imagination. Isn't that fascinating? Most, let's just say most of our suffering exists in our imagination alone. We worry about things, and woe is me, and, and all this, and that's really a lot of times not even our reality. One of the brethren there at Maple Grove gave me a gem years ago. He said, Gary, 
He said, there's a lot of things, this is kind of paraphrased, but he said, there's a lot of things you can focus on around you. There's lots of news articles. There's lots of gloom and doom. There's lots of whatever. He said, do this. He said, focus on what is true about today. What is true about today? Because most of your suffering exists in your imagination. Maybe that doesn't fit everybody. I don't want to just like plunk, I don't want to say your suffering, I don't want to minimize your suffering. I'll put it that way. But I know in my life, a lot of my suffering exists purely in my head. And so what do we do when we're believed? To me, they're just lies. They're just lies we believe. And I have found in my life, when there are negative emotions, they are indicative of some lie I'm believing. Something like, no one likes me. Is that true? Probably not. Most assuredly not. But sometimes it's, it's, it, we'll believe the lie, won't we? My spouse is out to get me again. Really? Maybe miscommunication. Maybe it's the pink and blue thing. I doubt she's actually out to get you. Or he's out to get you. Maybe. Have you not done the same thing sometimes? You know, we, we, a lot of times we can cry foul pretty easy, but we'll, we'll like judge ourselves by our intentions and everybody else by their actions. We believe lies. And Jesus says this, if ye continue in my word, and this was what Brother Luke said, go back to the promises of Scripture. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free from what? What does truth set you free from? Lies. That's what truth sets you free from. Lies. What's the first piece of armor there that it talks about? Loins girt about with truth. Truth. So easy to believe a lie. Lies like, I'm much better off back in prison because I'm comfortable there. It was better back in Egypt. Think of those garlics and leeks and all that. It's like gross. That's what you ate every day? You think that was awesome? You think it was awesome you only got whipped like twice this week? You think Egypt was so great? We play those games. We believe lies. So, this particular part, I want to talk about, so we've talked about negative emotions just a little bit. And all these things that Jesus dealt with. And we do too. And I had to have my wife help me on this part. Because I don't consider myself like... I'll just be like super transparent here. Um, things like, I'm sorry. Or, I love you. Or, that must be really hard. Those are like phrases you really don't hear me say much. I don't know why. Probably a lie I'm believing. It's really hard for me just to, to be, like, empathetic. I'm working on it. I'm 40. I hope I've still got some time left. We're getting there. Maybe. Might not want to ask my wife that. But things like that speak to positive emotion. And our well-being depends on positive emotion. In the past, I've been like, what's the point of emotions anyway? A lot of time they just lie to you. They're not even the reality most of the time. What's the utility of emotions? I feel this way. Well, I really don't care how you feel. The facts are this. And my facts don't care about your feelings. I seen that t-shirt one time and I was like, that's for me. Well, that's, like, that's super toxic. I mean, your facts might be right, but if you want relationship and you, you want healthy relationships, you better start caring about the feelings too or you've got nothing. You might be right. What's, what's Mark Grover say at conference sometimes? He says, here lies, it's a Burma shave thing. It's like, here lies the body of Gus McRae who died defending his right away. He was right, dead right as he sped along, but he's just as dead as if he were wrong. We can do that. You know, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, and boom, 
It really doesn't matter when your relationship falls apart how right you were, does it? You might have been right all the way through, but you're just as, it's just, the relationship is just as dead as if you were wrong. So there is a place for positive emotion. There is a place for feeling. And I'm still working on that, but my wife says our well-being depends on positive emotion. And I thought about this. Yes, it does. But I've also know this, that if we're constantly seeking emotional fulfillment from all the people around us, that works kind of. It's not sustainable. You have to get your identity and your fulfillment from Jesus Christ or you're not going to be sustained. And there is a lot of relationships that... There are a lot of people that we, we go to and we just, we need our feeling, we need our tank filled up. And it can be, but you know, some, some of us like, the tank just, it's like a bigger opening at the bottom than the top. We will never get totally fulfilled emotionally by people around us. It's not gonna happen. That, I don't wanna minimize those relationships and the healthy relationships and the meaning there. But we have to ultimately find our identity and fulfillment in Christ or we're falling a little short. I thought of this. Um, this has served me well over the years because sometimes when I'm restless or I'm dealing with negative emotion or there's something lacking or I'm worked up about something, it's indicative of some lie I'm believing. And it's also indicative of some deficit or d- deficiency in my relationship with my Savior. And I think of that quote, I think it's by Augustine that says, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. That is such a true statement. You have made us for Yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. And we can spend a lot of time trying to find fulfillment in things or people or relationships or you name it. We'll fill it with anything. Sports, uh, entertainment, cars, barns, farms, acres. You name it, we'll fill that. We'll try to fill that God gap with anything. But He's made us for Himself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Him. Our well-being depends on that positive emotion. So truths of God's Word. So we, we're, we're pretty good at believing these lies. And I also think this. Negative emotions or, or kind of our hot buttons or our triggers or our criticisms or what really sets us off, I think they are our flesh attempting to preserve some kind of identity apart from Jesus Christ. And you, I don't, I'm not going to get in the weeds on that right now. Um, they're an attempt to maintain an identity apart from spirit-filled Christ-likeness. You chew on that a little bit. I want to look at some truths of God's Word that we need to believe to combat these lies. Luke said he wants us to be secure in Him. Yay and amen. Yay and amen. I think that's why a lot of these bad circuit we, we call them bad, we're really terrible judges of what's good and bad in our lives. We don't have a clue. We think it's bad or we think it's good. I use that example of, of the, uh, the man and his son, just the man and son, and, and they had this really good relationship, and um, the son had this favorite horse, and forgive me if you know this story, I've told it several times. The son had this, this cherished horse, and one day the horse ran off. And the neighbor comes over and says, what a tragedy. Your favorite horse ran off. I bet you're devastated. And the dad's like, what do we know about these things? A couple days went by and the horse come back and he was leading this whole whole herd of horses. And they put him in a corral and all these horses were there. And the neighbor comes over and says, God is so good. What a blessing. Your horse come back leading 20 other horses. And the dad just said, what do we know about these things? And by and by, the son, he attempted to break some of these horses and get them trained and rideable. And and one of them was just wild enough that it bucked and threw him into the fence and he broke his leg. And the neighbor come over and said, what a tragedy. This horse broke your son's leg. He's your lifeblood. He does all the heavy lifting around the farm. What a tragedy. 
And the dad said, what do we know about these things? day or two went by and this gang of local toughs come by and they're looking for boys to join their gangs and they want, they know there's a son that lives there, a young teenager, and they walk up the driveway and they're going to force this boy into their gang and they see his broken leg and they're like, we don't want you, you can't even walk. And they leave and the neighbor comes over and says, God is so good. What a blessing. You can go on with this story for a long time. The point is, we have no idea really, how God is working in our lives. We look at things and we say that's good or bad. Job somehow could transcend that and just say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to look at some truths of God's Word to help us combat some of these lies. And Brother Luke went to one of them. He talked about we are sealed. We are sealed earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's you and I. He talked about that. We are sealed. By faith we come to Christ and Christ says, that one's mine. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. How all that works, what it all looks like, I don't really know. I can see some fruits here and there and and all that. I'm, I'm not super deep on that. I just know that when we say, I want Christ more than anything else, that's faith, that's trust. And in that faith and trust, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a stamp. I thought about, I thought about the mail, you know. Uh, when us, oh, yeah, I don't want to go there. I was going to talk about teenagers and uh, teenage boys in mailboxes. Let's not do that. But let's talk about this. Um, it was a game changer to me when, well, when, I will. I will go there a little bit. My dad told me one time, and I remember why he told me, is because some of the local boys were taking two liters, empty two liters, and you could put tinfoil shavings in there, and kids don't do this at home. Don't do it. But you could put a certain amount of ingredients in a two-liter pop bottle and and put it in a mailbox, and there was a chemical reaction that would take place in that two-liter in the mailbox, and you had enough time to get away. And it would blow that mailbox to smithereens. Just shred those things. I did not do that. I just want to be clear. But, Dad, I remember him talking about mail and mailboxes. And he said, you know what? He said, that is a federal offense. He said, when you take a letter and you put a stamp on it, that becomes federal property. He said, you don't mess with the mail system. And I thought about when Brother Luke was opening, he talked about being sealed. I thought about a stamp that makes you the property of someone else. You're not to be messed with. No one can pluck you out of his hand. You are his property. By faith, you are his property. Don't ever forget that. We play games with, with, like Brother Luke said, on I want to do this and I want to do that. No, you are God's property. And that's why the, the writer here over and over again in the Scripture, he says, you're, you're, you're his property. You don't mess. Glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your mind. It's you're his property. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. That's the idea there. You're sealed. Another promise of Scripture, you're chosen. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 talks about this. He talks about that we are chosen. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children and so on. God has chosen you. By faith, He chose you. Don't let the adversary say, nope, He didn't choose you. In fact, you've done a whole bunch of things that just aren't good enough. And pretty soon we draw off that checklist and we say, we're not good enough. How can God want me? That's a lie. God does want you. He wants you to be secure in Him. And you are chosen for that cause. Here at Colossians, we'll burn down through these. It's time to, to close. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says that He wants to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. You are holy. You are set apart for something different. 
You're not your own. You're holy. You're not to just go out and, and satisfy the lust of the flesh and be carnal. That's a dead end. He has chosen us. He has redeemed us out of that. You're holy. You're righteous. Second Corinthians 5, 20 through 21 says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You are righteous. You're justified. Romans 5, 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You can read all through the scripture about people that don't have peace with God. We can read in Revelation about what happens to people in these, when, whenever this thing's rolled up. Those that don't have peace with God, it's not pretty. Make your peace with God now. He says you're justified. He says you're represented. And this is like, to me, the most touching one of all. So maybe there is a little emotion in here somewhere. When I picture Jesus, our Savior, at the right hand of God, interceding for you and I, and you and I mess up, and we do it a lot, and we do it daily perhaps, and Jesus said, He's mine. She's mine. I've paid for them with my blood. They're, they, I am representing them in the courtroom of God. They are mine. I have chosen them. I have redeemed them. They're righteous. They're holy. They're represented by me. I think we'll just close with this verse as we think about what to do with our bag of bricks. I think we've covered some of those bricks and what they look like. I think we are all familiar with the weight of bricks. And I think sometimes we know what to do with them and for whatever reason we don't want to. That's a good thing to think about. Why don't we want to? I think it's that recidivism thing. Prison is more comfortable. That's super sad. But I think we can, most of us anyway, can relate to that. Jesus says, I will take your bricks. I will take your load. I will take everything that's weighing you down. And I will give you something new. It's, it's my yoke. And it's easy and it's light. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians and he says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body, all three parts of you, your spirit, soul, and body. And I even think in that soul, you can find space for the mind, the, the will, the conscience, the emotions. Be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There in Galatians it says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And I'll leave you with one question. What is the tale of bricks in your life?